0: Transmitter device activated. Coordinates set for Earth 2.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to the Earth 2 Podcast, your weekly exploration of the pre Crisis DC multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters through the Silver and the Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson.
2: And I'm David Steele, welcome back. Thank you for joining us. This week we return to the pages of Action Comics. We're reading a story from issue 415, which was published on the 29th of June 1972, a mere 11 days after Paul McCartney's 30th birthday. And a mere, let me do a quick sum, eight days before Ringo Starr's 32nd birthday. Uh Don't say that we don't give you the important cultural touchstone (laughs) point things anyway. This is one that we decided to do comparatively recently. Yeah, true. Peter was probably having a sleepless night and poking about an interweb Round about the same time. I was probably looking for foreign reprints of other comics, (laughs) and Peter found this, so we're going to do it. Without any further ado, Peter will tell you about the very exciting cover.
1: Yes, at the top we have the new DC Comics logo, which is a bit like the current new DC Comics logo. Underneath, you have Superman breaking out of chains, which is quite cool. All new stories. He's always breaking now chains. Now only 20 cents.
2: Superman, stop breaking chains and come and help me take the shopping in.
1: Yeah. He's a big Fleetwood Mac fan, you see. He's Superman. Anyway. And the Action Comics logo at the top. Now, the main image on the cover is very striking. There's a wall. Mm. Bursting through the wall is a big green hand with a purple sleeve and some like smoke coming around it. And this hand is grabbing onto a blonde woman who's wearing a very kind of dumb bunny, almost like outfit from Inferior 5.
2: The hand is grabbing the blonde woman round the arm, let's just emphasise that.
1: Yes, and grabbing her other arm, trying to pull her away from this grotesque, giant, monstrous hand is Superman. Mm. And he's looking quite concerned, I'll be honest. Mm. And the title of the story is emblazoned on this wall and it says...
0: Meet the Metropolis Monster! And at the very bottom of the cover, we have another banner which says, The new Metamorpho returns again.
2: Yes, as opposed to the old Metamorpho, he doesn't return. Mm -hmm. But we actually, we will be talking briefly about that Metamorpho story. But at this point, Mm -hmm. we're not going to tell you why. It's very interesting. On my copy, there's a lovely whopping great sixpence price stamp just above Superman's head. It almost looks as though Superman is looking at the price stamp. So almost looks so he's been distracted by it as he tries to rescue the lady. Maybe he is. And i have posted that on Instagram already by the time you're listening to this, so make sure you go and have a look. Right, jumping in, straight away, our opening page. There's a Superman logo. There's a crowd of people... I feel I need to point out that they're all white. I don't know why that irks me. Ever since we did the John Stewart story, yeah. I found myself noticing the lack of diversity in a lot of DC comics at the time. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we're not going to dwell on such things, but we may point it out if it's distracting. A bunch of people, all very different looks. There's an older man with thinning hair and a suit. There's another chap who looks like he looks like a comic book cab driver. He's got a kind of golfer's bonnet and a V-neck jumper. There's a man in a striped green suit. There's a guy with a nice looking suede jacket with tassels. There's another girl who looks a bit like supergirl, actually. She's blonde, Mm -hmm. green polo neck, sort of checked waistcoat. There's a dark-haired lady holding her hands up to her face in shock. There's another blonde woman. There's a man in a sort of brown suit. There's another man in a brown suit with glasses. And this man with brown suit and glasses is pointing upwards, almost into the sky. And he says, look up there. And the man with the glasses and the, the tassel jacket says, It's a human fly! And the man in the green pinstripe suit next to him says, It's a window washer who's gone bananas! And the blonde supergirl lookalike says, I don't know what it is! And our perspective shifts in the next panel, and we're at ground level looking up, and I'm gesturing and miming looking up for the benefit of our YouTube viewers, looking up towards the top of a tall skyscraper, we see the clouds scudding past, And we can see a sign that tells us that this is the WGBS building. Peter, what does WGBS stand for?
1: Well, the GBS part stands for Galaxy Broadcasting System. The W is weird because I don't think it actually stands for anything. It just indicates that the station's in the eastern half of the USA. K is used for the western half.
2: I knew that Peter would know that, didn't you?
1: Either that or the West Greenwich Building Society, one of the two.
2: Will Gotham be safe? No, probably not. Right. And our perspective has shifted and it looks as though we're standing behind some of the same people from the previous panel and some different people not from the previous panel. Another chat with Dark Hair in another straight suit is looking up and he says, Only a nut would try to climb a skyscraper. Call the police. And a man in a brown hat says, yeah, maybe they'll bring him down. And as we look beyond them, we can see a kind of purpley red hued figure, indeed scaling the side of this building. You could almost be forgiven for thinking it was Spider-Man. I wonder if the human fly line was a deliberate reference. But anyway, there's a slow dissolve and we get a caption for a final insert panel on this very fussy opening page.
0: And in his lofty office, TV reporter Clark Kent is busily preparing an important story for his evening newscast.
2: Yes, for we're in that time when Clark's on the telly as opposed to working at the Daily Planet. Oh, very interesting. Clark typing away, wearing a kind of mustard-coloured suit, it looks like here. Mm -hmm. And as he's typing away, he's thinking, odd. Somehow I get the feeling I'm being watched. And what Clark doesn't see, but what we do see, is the the figure who's been climbing the skyscraper peeking through the window behind him. Now, he's got green skin, green mottled skin, a very high forehead, wide staring eyes, dark hair with one sort of long strand of hair hanging down over his, his forehead.
1: Kind of an Elvis curl, I would say, almost.
2: Yeah, it reminds me of one of the guys from... I mean, it's a, not a programme that I've seen, but I've seen photographs of them. It reminds me of one guy from the and Shirley.
1: Lenny and Squiggy. I can't remember which one, but yeah.
2: Yes, that's it. Yeah, cool. You, yeah. yeah, you got it too. Awesome. And he also actually reminds me of the actor Kevin Eldon. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
1: Yes, pretty much so.
2: Unfortunately. But this figure is looming behind Clark as he types, and Clark continues to think, there's a strange musty odour coming from outside. And then we flip to the next couple of pages, and my gosh, listeners, I hope you're reading alone because this is spectacular. Can't wait to post this on the socials. Told over five panels over the spread of two and three. Our first panel, the creature, and we get a really good look at it here and we see its obvious similarity to the common cultural version of Frankenstein's monster. It's climbing through the window and it roars. (laughs) Clark turns around. What? Who? The creature grabs him by the shoulders in the next panel. (laughs) Clark says, don't know who you are under that costume, mister, but this practical joke better stop." Now, and then we pull out to a wider panel as this Frankenstein-style creature pulls at Clark's suit and shirt and tears it open. There's a massive rip sound effect and Clark thinks, Ripped my suit apart like it was tissue paper. He knows I'm secretly Superman. In the next panel, Clark lunges forward, butts the creature. There's a massive clunk sound effect and Clark thinks, With the strength this brute has, I feel justified in striking back, like this. But the creature pushes back on Clark CRUSHING CLARK AGAINST HIS DESK, WHICH COLLAPSES BENEATH HIM, CLARK THINKS HE'S INCREDIBLE. NO MORTAL MAN COULD LAST THIS LONG IN A FIGHT AGAINST SUPERMAN. AND I CAN SEE HE ISN'T WEARING GREEN MAKEUP. HIS FACE IS FOR REAL. AND THAT IS AN OPPORTUNE POINT FOR PETER TO READ THE MASSIVE TEXT CAPTION THAT'S RIGHT IN THE CENTER OF THIS DOUBLE-PAGE SPREAD.
0: IT STALKED THE ASPHALT STREETS IN THE DEAD OF NIGHT, OFTEN LURKING IN NARROW ALLEYWAYS AND SHADOWY CORNERS TO AVOID THE SEARCHING ANGRY CITIZENS. It was hideous. Fearsome, yet it carried a secret no man dared to guess. You and Superman are invited to
2: Meet, Meet the, the Metropolis Monster. Monster. And small captions at the bottom tell us that the art is by Swan and Anderson, and the story is by Carrie Bates. Yay! We arrive at the top of page four.
0: The man of might retaliates and applies enough force to wrench free of the cold and human grip.
2: Clark kicks back at the monster. And a nice little sequence of three panels here as he staggers to his feet from the wreckage of his desk as the creature falls back. And Clark very helpfully describes what's going on. A kick like that would topple a dinosaur, but I only dazed the thing. Panel two, he says, he's off balance, staggering. Staggering, yes. He's a beauty. falls backwards towards the window, the creature's yelling through all of this. (laughs) Panel 3, Clark observes, falling out the window, and we see the creature's feet as it vanishes from view. Caption for panel 4.
0: The sound of a thunderous impact reverberates
2: through the air. Yep, great show Clark looking out the window, the open window of his office, looking down to the ground, and he thinks, Great Krypton, it's a miracle no bystanders were hurt. That giant must have weighed a tonne made a three-foot hole in the pavement. It, it's getting up, but that fall would have killed anything living. And our perspective shifts to see a monster-shaped hole in the ground in the road, and the creature sitting up, looming up with its hands outstretched, in a very Frankenstein monster-type style. A bunch of pedestrians are standing nearby, and the way that the, the captions are placed, it looks as though a gentleman in a blue suit screams, E Another man says, like, something out of a horror movie, only it's real. And then a dark-haired lady, standing to his left, says, Hi, help! Page five, panel one, it's a cracker. The monster looking very, very Frankenstein-like here at this angle. It's walking across the, the busy Metropolis Road, causing havoc. Cars screech out of the way. Another car collides with a fire hydrant, sending water spraying up into the air. Is that the first car colliding with a fire hydrant that we've had on the podcast?
1: It may well be. I can't recall any others. Yes.
2: No. I wonder if it was, um, the inspiration for that scene in Superman 2?
1: Who knows?
2: We'll never know. Listeners, what do you think? Write it and let us know. Panel 2, Clark's looking down at this chaos and he thinks, A monster, loose in Metropolis. Now I'm stymied. if I try to capture it in public, innocent bystanders might be heard while we struggle all over the area. There's a knock-knock-knock at Clark's office door. A voice from outside says, What was all the noise in there, Clark? Are you okay, Clark? Says another voice. And then another voice says, Maybe he's hurt. We'd better break the door down. Clark looks towards the sounds and thinks, If anyone sees me like this, I can kiss my secret identity goodbye. Have to think of something. Fast, and obviously we can see through his tattered shirt, his Superman uniform. Outside his office, in panel four, with his name on the door, there's a man in a blue suit, putting his shoulder to the door, trying to burst it open. A couple of Clark's other colleagues stand around, and then, from off camera, a voice says, Hey! Why are you trying to get into my office? Clark walks into view in the next panel, now wearing a green striped suit. Pinstriped suit. So that's two suits for Clark already, and it's only page five. A girl who is amongst the crowd outside says, Clark, we thought you were inside, in trouble. And the man in the blue suit says, Sounded like there was a fight in there. Really? Let's take a look, says Clark, who thinks, I grabbed another suit off the rack of my office wardrobe that I used to change for my telecasts. Flew around the building and zoomed back through a window down the hall. Now, Clark probably knew that he'd done that, but it was very nice of him to tell us what he'd done. It's a shame there wasn't room in the page to show him doing that, and we probably guessed that he did something like it. Anyway, the first panel of page six, they have opened the door to Clark's office. Clark and his colleagues walk in. They see the wreckage everywhere. Clark thinks, now to put on my act. Good grief, what happened to my office? And the man in the blue suit says, looks like a tornado whipped through here. There's a slow dissolve. Caption the panel too.
0: Soon, news of the city's nightmarish visitor spreads far and wide.
2: Yes, we see a copy of the Daily Planet which has the headline, A Real Monster at Large, and has a photograph of the sort of movie version of Frankenstein we're all used to, and an image of the new monster, and these of course are captioned respectively, Famous Movie Monster, the Metropolis Monster. Caption for panel three. And
0: nothing spreads as fast as wild, irrational panic.
2: Yes, while the Rational Panic supported menswear at Manchester Uni in 1996, there's a great panel here which might end up in the socials of the the Frankenstein-style creature running across a rooftop dragging a glamorous blonde lady in a green dress behind him. What looks like probably a police helicopter is overhead and from inside, a couple of voices. Look, Mike, there it is. And it's grabbed a girl hostage. Better report this to headquarters right away.
0: While over a different part of Metropolis, not far
2: away. Yes, take a mild sip of your drink, listeners, because a crescent moon hangs in the background. And a very stiff-looking Superman flies through the air thinking, Haven't spotted him yet, but I'll keep searching until... It's that same musty odour noticed before, coming from somewhere down below. I must be close. With his
0: uncanny sense of super smell, the action ace traces the strange scent to a narrow alley.
2: Superman alights and he thinks, false alarm, I think, as he sees a blond man wearing a sort of purple blouse jacket, purple trousers and green boots, who's down on the ground, holding himself up with one hand, who reaches towards Superman and says,
1: Superman, thank goodness you've found me.
2: <coughs> the first panel of page seven, Superman kneels down towards the man and says, who are you? What's wrong with you?
1: J- just listen, not much time. I'm dying because of a terrible mistake.
2: I created a horrendous monster. Superman's cradling the man in panel two of page seven now, as he says. So you're responsible. I already fought it once. A waste of time. Nothing can subdue it, not even you.
1: The creature knew only I could destroy it. That's why it attacked me, left me mortally injured.
2: There's a caption for panel three. Only seconds
0: away from death's cold clasp, the victim makes a bizarre last request. You you must find a way to bring me back to life after I die, Superman.
1: Give me a chance to dispose of the terrible menace I spawned. I'm the only hope you have of stopping the monster. I...
2: uh... Round of applause for Mr. Watson. Yay, there you go you could tell peter felt every single moment of that man's losing fun
1: fact listeners i've been (laughs) nominated for the exact same number of baftas that david tennant has
2: (laughs) haven't we all (laughs) (laughs) there's a contemporary reference for you listeners i watched that Mm. that clip popped up on twitter the other night i watched it five times in a row so there we are right (laughs) panel four is a is a raised shot we're looking down upon superman in this dead unfortunate take a sip of your drinks as a couple of dustbins in this alleyway superman rather despondently thinks no heartbeat no pulse he's dead i never took a person's life neither did i ever restore one either now the situation is critical and i myself have no sure means of combating this seemingly invincible threat good grief a slow dissolve caption for the final panel page 7. A widespread hunt progresses far into the moonlit night. Can't see a moon in this panel, but you could take a drink if you like. Great panel. Again, we're spoilt for choice here. This is definitely going to end up in a tweet, I think. The Frankenstein-style monster, We can see the, the fastenings in front of its purple jumpsuit It's lifting up a police car! Policemen are inside, one of them's firing, and he says, It's hard to believe. Bullets won't even wound it. His colleague says from inside the car, Where's Superman when we need him? If only he'd show up and take care of this. And as a slow dissolve, we arrive at the top of page 8 and a caption says,
0: But in the privacy of his Clark Kent apartment, the Man of Steel carefully weighs his alternatives for the moment.
2: Yes, Superman is watching television and obviously he's brand loyal. He's watching WGBS News and we hear the newsreaders saying, And, oddly enough, not a single person has been injured by the monster. But authorities expect the worst and they're increasing their efforts to wipe out this dangerous menace. The image in the TV shifts to a shot of the creature carrying that blonde woman that we saw a couple of pages earlier over the rooftops take a drink because there's a crescent moon in the sky, the newsreader continues. The police still cannot identify the blonde girl who seems to be a willing hostage. It's their belief that her abductor holds some sort of hypnotic power over her. And as he watches this bulletin, Superman is thinking, my first fight with the thing proved brute force is no answer. Sat down in a nice fancy chair, contemplating. And there is a chance I can revive the scientist who created him, if he has a safe way of getting rid of it. It would make the city safe again and solve my problem. Soup's looking very Christopher Reeve here, it must be said. A slow dissolve.
0: Moments later, the action ace streaks northward
2: towards his fabulous Arctic stronghold, the Fortress of Solitude. Yes, he's flying along. He has the body of the, the man who died in the alley wrapped up in a sheet, obviously to protect him from the, the winds, etc. And as he flies over the snowy landscape, Superman is thinking, the technology of my destroyed home planet Krypton was far ahead of Earth's. Restoring a human life wouldn't be so difficult for such an advanced science.
0: Soon after, Superman assembles hundreds of spare parts from the scientific infantry in his vast citadel.
2: Spare parts, of course, being the name of the, the seminal Mark Platt Cyberman origin story for Big Finish. Now, we Yay. see the blonde guy stretched out on, on a table, banks of computer equipment all around. There's a large device above him. It looks very much like the sort of thing you'd see in a Frankenstein movie. Yes, There's a sort of ball at the end, obviously, to conduct electricity. Mm -hmm. Superman is looking down at the dead man and thinking, this is the closest reconstruction of a Kryptonian revitalizer I can manage from memory. There's no guarantee it will work, but a dead man has nothing to lose. Time to begin. And a small caption says, continued on second page. Following. Pass advertisement for superhero stick-ons. Yay. Stick your favourites up against the ball and ruin your mum's day. All 14 for only $2. Images of Superman the Flash Green Arrow. Batman etc. Listeners we might put this page in the socials if I can't come up with any more content for this episode we'll see. Top of page 9 there is a caption
0: Alien components hum against the sizzle and crackle of tremendously high voltage as unearthly power is generated into the lifeless body
2: Yes there's a massive (laughs) sound effect as electricity crackles from the big ball conductor and strikes the body that's lying on the table. Superman can be seen operating equipment as an insect panel and some dials and stuff in front of him, and he's thinking, I've done it. His legs are twitching, and now both his arms. He's starting to sit up. Better shut off the revitalizer before the energy overloads him. And indeed, in an inset panel at the bottom of page nine, the blonde man sits up. We can see now there's a nice green sort of square design on the front of his jacket. He rubs his head and says,
1: Ah, uh, is that
2: you, Superman? Am I really alive again? Yes. You pulled through, all right. We beat one mortal enemy. Death. Now, let's team up against our other foe. If he had said, stop, let's team up well, yes. over our other foe. That would have been quite amusing. <laughs> I'll have to send that panel to Ross. A caption then says, Suddenly! And there's a massive crash sound effect as none other than the Frankenstein-style monster guy bursts through the wall of the Fortress of Solitude. We can see the blonde lady in the green dresses behind him. Superman says, It's already found us! We arrive at the top of page 10. The creature lunges towards Superman, crying, No! Superman grabs it by the wrist and the throat, and does a judo-style throw that you probably learned from Black Canary, flips him over his shoulder. The creature lands with a... "boom," <laughs> Saying, You're making a terrible mistake! Superman looks back and says, The thing speaks? It must be a trick! And the creature is now standing, Get to his feet. It reaches forward and grabs Superman's cape, pulling him back. Superman exclaims, Oh! But the creature says,
0: Why? Just because I look like a monster to your eyes? You're just
1: like other humans, Superman. You forget appearances can be deceiving.
2: You misjudged me. The next panel, the creature. He really is hideous, by the way. Ugh, Kurt Swan did a great job here. <laughs> creature points towards some of the equipment in Superman's laboratory and says, And, as I feared, you unleashed the real menace. Look for yourself. And we actually see the creatures pointing to the stool in the middle of the room where the blonde man that Superman had just brought back to life was sitting. Superman exclaims, The man I revived, who constructed you, he's gone. But I still don't understand. And then we get a nice horrible close-up of this creature with his tea fowl forehead as he says,
1: Let me try to explain a few things to you. I am from another dimension. The last survivor of a dying race of giants like myself.
2: And... I am a highly accomplished scientist. And as we arrive at page 11, the first panel has a caption with the now traditional device of the the headshot of the person who's narrating. And the monster explains what's been going on.
1: When I realised my end was also near, I vowed to devote all my remaining time to a
2: fantastic experiment. And we see a shot of the, the monster. We haven't been told his name yet, that's terrible. Holding up a sort of jar, looking at some liquid. He's got another jar on the desk behind him. He's very muscly, and he's got a nice apron on Obviously, obviously protects his nice purple uniform bodysuit thing. And he's thinking,
1: After weeks of painstaking trial and error, I finally isolated the precious cell-creating chemical that is the basis for all life. Now I can proceed. His narration continues for panel two. Although we were a hideous-looking, unsightly race, our dimension was a world of... Rare splendour and beauty.
2: Yes, we've got a nice panel here which looks like something off of Star Trek, quite frankly. Again, yes. lots of weird looking plants and a nice big building and stuff, and it can always be actually from, from a Terry Nation episode of Doctor Who. We see a thought bubble for the creature emanating from inside this fancy laboratory building. When my
1: work is done, I will have manufactured two synthetic beings a
2: male and a female. It's all getting a very heavy with its symbolism, isn't it, listeners? we cut back to the present another shot of this grotesque beastie and i'm I'm loving the hairdo i really am as he says to superman
1: i observed your earth for a long time through occasional dimensional windows temporary rifts that open up between our two worlds so i decided "'To mould my
2: creations after the humans I observed.'" And we return to a ripply blue-bordered flashback panel here, and we see the creature standing over a couple of glass cases, and inside one of them we see the man in the purple suit, who Superman met in the alleyway. And in the other one, we see the blonde girl in the green dress who the creature had been dragging around behind him throughout the story. The creature's looking down at his two creations, and he's thinking,
1: "'They will be capable of producing a race of their own someday.'" Hopefully, their descendants will thrive and prosper better than my kind ever could. At least they won't be ugly, green-skinned freaks.
2: Time moves on in the flashback. It's not narrated at this point. We see the girl standing blankly in the background, but the blonde man in his purple jumpsuit is standing at the front. There's a couple of electrodes attached to his chest and his forehead. They're in turn attached to a control that the creature is holding, which is obviously linked up to his computers. The blonde man says, How do I check out, master? The creature replies, "'Satisfactory.' "'And thanks.
1: "'I could not say it to his face, but these readings indicate I must destroy my male humanoid before it causes a terrible disaster.'
2: "'I wonder what these readings could be. This must be a very intuitive device. The creature narrates the, the final panel of page 11.' "'Unhappily,
1: I resolved to annihilate my creation, but I only succeeded in wounding him, and he fled to Earth through... A dimensional window.
2: My gosh, what did it try and do? (laughs) The only wounded him, the guy was able to escape. Yes, we see him leaping through the dimensional window, and obviously that's Metropolis in the background, the creature reaching to try and stop him, but failing. We arrive at the top of page 12, we're back in the fortress, as the creature says to Superman.
1: He obviously reached you before he died. Convinced you it was vital that he be revived. I traced him here and rushed to the Arctic through another dimensional window, but too late to avert
2: catastrophe what do you mean says superman and then the creature points to the hole in the wall and says as i feared the protoplasmic plague has begun
1: and my humanoid creation has fled Look at the telltale trail it left
2: behind. Yes, and we see now a whole bunch of... They kind of look like oversized representation of blood cells, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And they also remind me of the sort of flying pizza-type things from that episode of Star Trek.
1: Operation Annihilate.
2: That's the one. Yeah. Lots of Star Trek references in the artwork here, <laughs> I think, this week, listeners. Very odd. Listeners, do you watch Star Trek? Write in and let us know. The creature points at these horrible little shapes. They're surrounded by this sort of golden aura. And indeed, the Man of Steel comments, Great Krypton, those glowing patches look like giant cells. So yes, one Man of Steel does as one other Man of Steel does. Supes kneels down to examine them in panel three. The creature says,
1: Exactly. The cell-creating chemical which bred the male humanoid was a faulty mixture. The formula has gone wild. Soon it will be producing millions of giant cells every second. At that rate, those cells will soon cover the entire Arctic. The crisis is much worse, Superman. Unless the humanoid is stopped, it will keep generating cells until your entire planet
2: is smothered. Yeah, and panel four is an external view outside the fortress, and we can see the, the cells are spreading out already all over the snow. Very interesting. Panel five, he cut back inside, and the creature is saying, I
1: would have told you all this sooner, but my vocal cords couldn't adapt to your Earth atmosphere right away. I was unable to speak. Yes,
2: yeah, kind of tilting his head back and pointing his throat for emphasis. To which Superman says, You brought traces of your own alien atmosphere with you. That explains the musty odors I detected. In the next panel, Superman is flying out of the hole in the wall as the creature says, You must
1: destroy the humanoid before its astronomical cell count spreads
2: beyond control. Only you can save Earth now. And as he flies away, Superman thinks, How ironic. I'm the one who almost doomed it. This menace is on the loose because of me. (gasps) Look, Clark, we've all done it. Don't be too hard on yourself. The first panel of page 13 is captioned.
0: And as an anguished action ace soars above the ominous glowing cancer-like peril that rapidly consumes the white terrain below.
2: Well done, Peter. Yes, Superman flies over the spreading cells and thinks, Good grief, the protoplasmic plague is travelling fantastically fast. It's already saturated hundreds of square miles. Must find the source that's causing it to spread.
0: Suddenly, without warning...
2: Yeah, as he flies along, a bunch of the cells suddenly start attacking Superman, trying to attach themselves to him. He exclaims, Oof! And thinks, caught in the middle of a four-way cell bombardment. He's able to control them at will. Yeah, looks at all flying towards him and just, ugh, horrible. Panel 3 soups curls himself up into a ball, starts spinning around, thinking some super-speed aerial somersaulting will repel these things far and fast. Yes, we do indeed see Superman doing some roly-polies in mid-air, and indeed the cells do all disperse and go flying off.
0: But then a toneless, threatening voice cuts through the frost-chilled Arctic
2: air. Yes, we see that some of the cells have formed a humanoid shape, and this glowing, weird, scary-looking thing points at Superman and says, Do not try to seize
1: me, Superman. Keep in mind I have millions of allies all around us who can be
2: summoned to my aid with a single thought. Superman thinks, he's not whistling Dixie. Even I couldn't handle those odds. The humanoid is a protoplasmic army at his command. And then in the first panel of page 14, Superman arcs up and away from the the cell humanoid, thinking, one chance. But I have to act fast and catch him by surprise before he can strike back. And with that, Superman flips over, burrows down into the snow. The cellular humanoid cries,
1: Can't face it anymore, Superman. Strange behaviour for one reputed to be a hero.
2: And then the humanoid figure continues in the second panel. Attack! Force him out into the open. He starts marching towards where Superman has buried himself and all the, the weird blood cell type guys follow after him. Under the snow, Superman is thinking, the snow, plus my use of the science of cryogenics, will come in handy. There's an asterisk at cryogenics. Takes it to a caption that says,
1: Editor's notes, cryogenics. The study of matter at extremely low sub-zero temperatures.
2: Who says you don't learn anything from comics, eh? Caption them for panel three. Unexpectedly. Yes, Superman bursts from the snowdrift and using his hands, pushes a massive amount of snow towards the cellular humanoid. The cellular humanoid cries as he gets swamped and Superman thinks... The numbing shock of this frosty barrage should keep him dazed. Long enough for my super-speed snowplough to finish the job. And with that, the Man of Steel goes skating around, using his hands to plough up the snow in front of him so that the cellular humanoid remains coated in the cold white stuff. There we go. There's a synonym that prevented me from saying snow. We arrive at the top of page 15 in the caption for the first panel.
0: Then, with a devastating blast of super-breath...
2: Superman is exhaling heavily and thinks... A gust of ultra frigid air transforms the snow to terrifically hard ice that will never melt. Can make any more protoplasm as long as it's frozen. Yes, the cellular mass is now frozen in ice. Gosh, panel two, nice shot of <laughs> Superman's boots as we see the rest of the cells that remain. They seem to be just turning black. As Superman thinks, "Good, the giant cells that are left behind are dying now that their humanoid controller is in suspended animation. The crisis is over." That's a nice little box-out caption to yes. <laughs> use out of context, isn't
0: it? <laughs> a
2: slow dissolve!
0: Soon!
2: We're back at the hole in the wall. Superman and the Frankenstein monster-type guy and the blonde girl in the green dress are stood there. The creature is saying, And when I ripped off your clock, Kent, guys, I
0: hoped you realise I was an intelligent creature who already knew your double identity.
2: That's a bit of a leap, monster. But anyway, Superman says, But I never gave you a chance. What a mistake I made. In panel three, the blonde lady creation of the creature cradles Superman's face in her hand leans up and kisses him in the cheek. Superman says, well, I guess your female humanoid forgives me.
0: That's her way of saying farewell. The girl cannot speak. I'm afraid she was cursed with an imperfection also.
2: A slow dissolve then. The caption for the final panel of the story.
0: And as a dimensional window momentarily appears...
2: Yes, the rippling hole in the air, we can see the Star Treky desert in the background as the creature and the blonde female humanoid, to give her a... (laughs) for want of a proper name, step through it. As he departs, the creature says,
0: I shall try to create another artificial mate for her before I die. She deserves more
2: than
1: solitude...
2: After I'm gone. And as they leave, Superman says, Somehow, I know you'll succeed this time. And Superman contemplates. And to think, I called him a monster. And a very small Superman logo-shaped caption says, The The End. So there you go, listeners. A reversal of the traditional Frankenstein situation. Where the Frankenstein is a scientist and he comes from another dimension. That's why we've done this one. What do you think?
1: Yay. Fantastic. Great stuff. A lovely Mr. Surprise Carrie Bates story. Great fun. Yes. Playing with your expectations. It's superb.
2: Absolutely. Some of those subversions, let's be honest, are incredibly obvious.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, but it's still fun.
2: Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I mean it's you get an excuse you just get the idea that maybe Kurt Swan and Murphy Anderson wanted to draw Frankenstein.
1: Or Kevin Eldon, as you say. Yes.
2: <laughs> or the guy from the Bern and Shirley. Yeah, I mean the shots of the monster sort of causing havoc in Metropolis are fantastic Mm -hmm. and when I did start reading it it wasn't, the way it ended up playing out wasn't really what I expected. I was a bit surprised a bit dumbstruck to be honest at the the Adam and Eve almost, you know, this guy creating man and woman. Yeah. That was quite interesting. That was a bit of a a step above what we've had recently.
1: Yeah, as much as we referenced it during the episodes it does really feel like a Star Trek plot really doesn't it? You're right, yeah. It's not a bad thing you know. but it's it's really interesting and something a bit different for Superman so yeah.
2: In some ways it it put me in mind of the the action comic story we did run about this time last year. Do you Remember when he was diverted into another dimension and was a hundred years late getting to Earth and oh, all that gosh, sort of stuff? Yeah. Do you remember that one? Oh, it kind of, <laughs> some ways it put me in mind of that one.
1: Yeah,
2: I can't remember if that was also written by Carrie Bates or not. I can't remember. It
1: was yeah, a hundred years lost, traded, stolen.
2: Yeah, there's not a huge amount to sort of really say, I think, like, beyond the, some good Superman action, everything ground to halt when the, the creature had to explain itself, the, the obvious Frankenstein imagery of the, the equipment yeah. in the laboratory. Mm-hmm. There's a point when he says, you're, you're Earth for a long time, that almost hints at maybe...
1: He's from another Earth.
2: Yes, and he does mm-hmm. talk about two worlds, so that's a nice mm. panel that backs up our justification <laughs> if we need Indeed. to.
1: I'm fascinated by these dimensional windows that casually seem to open up. Yes. Between his realm and Earth One. Aye. <laughs> because it doesn't seem to be that he's got any control over them. Mm, At mm. no point is that referenced, uh, which is fascinating. I, yeah. I, we can only assume that he does, but it's not actually specifically said. And it's just, I don't know, it's very, it's almost like sliders,
2: <laughs> except without a device. Yeah, we've got to wonder about what causes them. Is it some kind of mm-hmm. chemical thing or is it a side effect of something else? Does it happen when his Earth and our Earth are vibrating clo- too closely together? Could be. If he is indeed on an Earth. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting one to contemplate. I mean, the yeah. randomness of it. I mean, I'm just flicking back through the story and I'm struck now, but. Uh-huh. How obvious the Frankenstein imagery is at, you know, at various points. Oh, yeah. like, you know, when he's, mm-hmm. the, the first panel on page five almost looks like it's been cribbed or copied from something. Real sort of yeah. sense of the Karloff Frankenstein. Yeah, without a doubt. Hopefully our good pal Mick Pride has enjoyed this episode, we should say, given that Karloff is inspiration for his, his handle on the socials. Yes. Mick, do let us know. Mick, we should have got you to do the voice of the, the creature, actually, shouldn't we? Anyway, <laughs> you'll just have to make do with another doing another voice for us at some point. I don't have much else to add about this one, really. Beyond the obvious stuff of the let's have fun with Frankenstein, but flip it on its on its head. I'm
1: fascinated by the fact that when the creature first turns up, he climbs up the building first of all, but then Clark kicks him out the window. He doesn't like fly out to like save him or like you know fly him away somewhere, even though the creature obviously knows that he's Superman. Hmm. Uh, and it's only after he collides with the asphalt below yeah. <laughs> that Superman looks out the window and says that fall would have killed anything living. So much for his no-killing vow. My goodness.
2: Of course, which he references later in the story.
1: Yeah. Exactly, yeah.
2: No, you're right. He was, was very careless to Superman to do it because you know, he didn't know mm-hmm. what was going on with the creature. I didn't mm-hmm. stop to ask any questions, obviously it was quite violent towards him and he retaliated, but yeah. it was very reckless of him because the creature then goes on to cause a bit of havoc downstairs, mm-hmm. as it were, and Superman yeah. was responsible for that havoc. Yeah, you're right, that's, that's very well spotted. Yeah. Bad behaviour from the Man of Steel. Shakes fist.
1: <laughs> I'm also fascinated at the fact that the creature thinks he's ugly, because if his entire race looked like that, then he would probably think that we looked ugly.
2: <laughs> that's Yes, that's another excellent point. So, yeah. Wait, I mean, the thing is, we don't actually see any other members of his race.
1: No, he, he's the last one.
2: It's entirely possible. They all look like, you know, as if they were off Geordie Shore or the only way is Essex and they were all beautiful. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. Again, that's maybe another bit of commentary yeah. of that Carrie Bates is doing and, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> hammering us over the head with it in the process. Yeah.
1: So he's the last survivor of his race, just like Superman is kind of the last survivor of his race.
2: There you go. My goodness, I don't know it's never really ending. Hundreds of them. <laughs> you could write, you could write a university thesis on all the implications and stuff in the story
1: on these fifteen pages. Mm. Yeah, the
2: common themes. I mean, it, it's quite well packed.
1: Mm-hmm. I kind of liked how they used the creature protecting the girl as a way to have him almost like on a rampage. You know, like, lifting up the police car and stuff like that? Yeah, I suppose that's
2: That's probably, Yeah, that's probably its motivation. Yeah.
1: Mm -hmm. Do you not think it's crazy that Superman has built a device that can bring people back to life?
2: Ooh.
1: It reminded me very much of, like, the purple healing ray in Paradise Island, which, you know, can cure people that are near death. But this guy appeared, for all intents and purposes, to be dead, and Superman revived him.
2: That's an excellent point. I mean... Superman refers to the, the blonde lassie's female humanoid. So maybe mm-hmm. he just came up with some maybe he's able to extrapolate something that would bring this particular life form back to to uh, yeah. life. But I mean he okay. does say a dead man with you know a dead man with nothing to lose. Yeah. But equally he says restoring a human life wouldn't be so difficult for such an advanced scientist. An advanced science. Mm-hmm. You know, that opens up a whole other can of worms. Yep. About what the, the limits of Superman's power and mm-hmm. Why doesn't he use spoilers? Why doesn't he use this technology to bring Mr. Terrific back to life? <laughs> well, there's one... <laughs> In seven years' time. Spoilers.
1: Or, indeed, why is this not mentioned when a future Flash story that Carrie Bates also writes, when Flash is pleading... Oh, my
2: goodness. That's right.
1: ...with Superman and other heroes. There must be some way you can bring... Yes. ...a certain loved one back to life.
2: Yes. Spoilers ahead. Yes. Gosh. Oh, my goodness. this This is... This is provoking all sorts of
1: conversation. <laughs> Good grief. Yep.
2: One other really interesting thing about this comic, listeners, if you have a copy at home, Pete said at the top that obviously he was doing the cover description that Metamorpho was the backup story for this issue. And what's fascinating, an astonishing coincidence, if it is a coincidence, unless it was planned, I, I'm sceptical to think it was, the Metamorpho backup strip, it's a long and involved story about Simon Stagg being very nasty. And a man gets trapped in a mine, and there's gas in the mine, and the gas makes the man sort of mutate so that he looks like Frankenstein the, the Frankenstein, the popular conception of the Frankenstein monster. And then once Metamorpho rescues him, the gas clears and the man reverts to normal, but Simon Stagg refuses to pay for all the stuff, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and anyway, Metamorpho goes to frighten Simon Stagg in a very Christmas Carol type way, and Metamorpho shapes himself so that he looks like the frankenstein monster gosh to give simon Stagg a fright so that simon Stagg has an attack of conscience it's fascinating two goes <laughs> at frankenstein in the same comic with different superheroes what are the odds it's fascinating i know what are the odds just <laughs> really what are the chances it's like it would be like i don't know <laughs> i can't think of anything to compare it really it's like you know the cover yeah. feature and it would have been right say that issue of adventure comics recently, where we did the story with Vigilante at the rodeo. Instead of a rodeo, if Vigilante had fought a giant robot that went on a King Kong style rampage, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, be weird. it would've been <laughs> like that. It's bizarre. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. crazy. We should probably have a quick chat about Frankenstein and comics and stuff. I remember some sort of riff on it in Wizard and Chips or one of those sorts of British comics.
1: Oh yeah, Monster Fun had a Frankenstein, yeah. And that I think that merged with the Wizard and Chips or- Something
2: like that. Yeah, UK weeklies were talking about. And I remember my friend Derek Smith, who lived across the road from me when I was in primary school. I remember him having a copy of the issue of The Invaders with Frankenstein. The Invaders meet Frankenstein. I remember having a copy oh, of that okay. and proclaiming mm-hmm. because The Invaders disproportionately seemed to be a comic that turned up quite often in my childhood.
1: <laughs>
2: I remember years ago when I was reading the comic book book and all in colour for a dime. That they, mm-hmm. there was a chapter in one of those about the feature publications. Prize Comics Frankenstein strip, yes, which I've got the- a nice hardback collection that reprints some of the IDW. And of course, there's all sorts.
1: Yeah, that was Dick Briefer that did that. It's absolutely stunning stuff. Yeah, that was good. Cool. Yeah. I think the first time I came across a Frankenstein type character, Frankenstein's monster type character in comics was in an issue of Superman when he turned up with uh, Dracula. Oh,
2: all right. Yes, another one you mean.
1: With a really stunning cover, which uh, I think we might even cover it at some point because it's uh, an interesting one to do.
2: Yeah, we were talking about this the other day, weren't we? We're probably going to do it because it's interesting. It lets us make certain observations on certain characters' behaviours and it's Superman fighting Dracula you know, some of the other ones that we've got planned, some of the other episodes we've got planned are basically superheroes encountering other sort of, shall we say, fictional non-superhero characters in an Earth-1 style-y. So it's, um yeah,
1: mm.
2: I think these little divergent sort of little steps every so often I think they're worth doing. It
1: certainly adds a bit of flavour to what's happening at the time, so yeah.
2: Probably adds in total about three months of the running time to the <laughs> whole, <laughs> to the whole thing. So you know, and it it was it breaks up all the vigilante stories. Mm. No offense, Vigilante. Listeners, you will doubtless be astonished to that I've assembled scraped together ten Frankenstein related comic book covers to post on the socials at some point. Gosh. There were so many others that we could have found that I mean, Batman and Superman, there's another superman cover i think mm-hmm. with a sort of frankenstein monster there's at least one or two batman yep. covers
1: there's spawn of frankenstein as well who's the character from phantom stranger absolutely
2: yep. who will be represented there's frankenstein agent of shade from the yep. more modern period Yep,
1: which is the seven soldiers version yeah
2: there's the Frankenstein equivalent in the Preacher Commandos and the pages of Weird War Tales. Um, yep. I look forward to Max and Rich getting there, I tell you.
1: <laughs> there was a Frankenstein-like character in Batman's Golden Age, 1948, I think. There was a, an encounter with Baron Frankenstein and his creature, which is fascinating.
2: Yeah, there's loads. I'm sure there's a few, at least three or four Jerry Lewis covers with a sort of Frankenstein motif going on. Yeah. All sorts. Listeners, go nuts. Go and type Frankenstein comic book cover into Google and... Just see the the embarrassment of riches that's out there. Yes, yeah, I see. I've put a few Frankenstein-related covers together, so check the socials in a few days and see what you think. If you have any yourself that you that you like, feel free to share them with us. With all that chat out of the way, we'd better do the letters page.
1: Yes, let's jump ahead to Action Comics four hundred and nineteen. Or Superman in Action, which is a quite a cool title for the It's a call great letter's
2: column illustration of Clark running into mm-hmm. the phone booth and coming out again on the other side of Superman. I love it. I love it. I love it. Right, we're gonna jump in. First letter.
1: Dear Editor Not being an action reader until Metamorpho began residence in the backup strip, I was surprised to find that I preferred Superman's Meet the Metropolis Monster in action four fifteen. The irony of just who was the monster? The green-skinned, misshapen freak, or the pitiful, rather handsome blonde guy was the kind of thing I'd expect from author Carrie Bates. Depending on him to hand readers an offbeat story every time. He then goes on to talk about the Metamorpho story.
2: Doesn't mention the fact that Metamorpho turns into Frankenstein in it though, sadly. No.
1: And that's from Scott Gibson, Sterling, Colorado. And the editorial response just refers to the metamorphal comments, so...
2: And also to the the backup strip in issue 419 of Action Comics, but we shall say no more about that at this point. Ah. Second letter, dear editor, Harry Bates has either gone bananas, open brackets, Action Comics, number 415, close brackets, or is just plain out of his gourd. What race, no matter what they look like, think of themselves as hideous-looking and unsightly, Peter made that point. Yeah. I agree that I don't get palpitations over a female rhinoceros, but neither does daddy rhinoceros get a charge out of Raquel Welch. In any case, the monster was not a freak and could not have thought of himself as one, since all the other people in his world looked like him. So, he was not abnormal and therefore no freak. I think you really blew it on that story and ought to take a little or a lot more care on your racial attitudes. And that's from Alan Lippert, Heidelberg in Germany. Wow.
1: You should have done that in a German accent. I should accent. have done the whole letter in a
2: German accent.
1: <laughs> I think you really blew it on that story. <laughs> and ought to take.
2: I think when Pete and I eventually <laughs> ever pay off our mortgages and become independently wealthy and set up a Patreon, we'll go back and redo all the letters pages in the appropriate, thoroughly researched accents of all the people that wrote them. Anyway, the editorial response to that one is...
1: Right, and we hereby decree that Carrie Bates atone for his error by going on a <laughs> blind date with a female rhinoceros. So says E. Nelson Bridwell. One of the next
2: letters says,
1: Dear Editor, Meet the Metropolis Monster was a good story. When I finished reading it, it struck me as funny that on page 6, you showed the Daily Planet, comparing the creature with a famous movie monster. Since said monster was Frankenstein's creation, and the creature turned out to be a Dr. Frankenstein in his own world, you actually gave away the whole story right there. But I doubt that anyone caught on. I sure didn't. And that's wrong. future comic writer and answer man himself, Bob Rosakis from Elmont,
2: New York. Fantastic. Bob makes an interesting point. And to be honest, I don't think it gave it away. No. It's a nice nod. It's a nice touch. Yeah, it's, a, it's another layer to it all. I mean, it's a very, mm-hmm. there is a lot to the story. You know, as, as Pete kept list of yeah. all of his things that he'd spotted, well, so I was just very tired. Editorial response from E. Nelson Bridwell says, Well, you must not have given it away too, obviously, if a sharp guy like Rosakis was fooled. So that's good. Next letter says, Dear Editor, Me at the Metropolis Monster had an old plot, which has been used frequently, but it was well handled. My only objection is a general one. Your artists almost always depict anyone or thing from a futuristic society with tight-fitting, streamlined clothing. I'm miming tight-fitting, streamlined clothing (laughs) for the benefit of our YouTube viewers. I understand the logic behind this. A scientifically-oriented society would tend towards efficiency in clothing first, but always... And that's from Bruce Jones, Manaco Min. Was that Minnesota?
1: Minnesota, yeah.
2: Bruce, there was there's a comic writer called Bruce Jones, isn't
1: there? Yeah, I wonder if it is the same one.
2: Wrote some Hulk stuff a while ago.
1: Hulk and Kazar did a great run in Kazar. It was great stuff.
2: That's interesting. Interesting the response to Bruce's letter
1: no not always take a look at a legion of superheroes <laughs> tale sometime and get a load of brainiac fives baggy pants
2: brainiac fives baggy pants would be a great name for something or other i don't know
1: they definitely supported men's. they did
2: they did right final letter then
1: dear editor nick cardi's cover on action 415 was out of sight i dig it It may not be as good as Neil Adams covers, but it's better than the comics art of yesterday (laughs) and much of the comics art of today.
2: (laughs) You can hear Peter's disdain there, can't you?
1: Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Meet the Metropolis Monster was fairly well done. It's
2: fairly well done. It wasn't bad.
1: (laughs) And Swan and Anderson portrayed the story quite well, quite well. Hey, the humanoid chick's quite attractive. Very attractive. In fact, she looks like a Miss America. And that wonderful piece of correspondence is from Dennis Chan (laughs) from Portland, Oregon.
2: ENB's response is, even without the signature, that last remark would have told us the letter came from the hand of Dennis Chan, the ladies' man. Marvel-style rhyming slang there. (laughs) Well, that was a fun Letters page, wasn't it? Listeners, what did you think of Meet the Metropolis Monster?
1: You can email us at Podcast at gmail.com and let us know. Make sure you follow us on social media because we we'll are be putting up lots of lovely bonus content for this frankenstein story on Facebook and Instagram. We're at the Earth 2 Podcast and on Twitter we're at podcast underscore Earth 2 and it's the number 2 for all of our social media.
2: And as I say, listeners, yes, do check out the socials because I've scraped together a nice cross-company Frankenstein comic book cover gallery. And yeah, you know, once I post that on Facebook, if you've got anything that you like, just post them in comments as well. Let's try and get some some of that sort of stuff going on because it's a fascinating subgenre. It certainly is Frankenstein and other type situations. Peter, what's the first Frankenstein movie you ever saw?
1: Well, I think it was the first uh, Hammer Frankenstein,
2: right? The first one, the Curse. I believe,
1: P- Peter Cushing. Yeah, interesting. Yes, I believe so. What we'll about
2: yourself? I think it was The Evil of Frankenstein, which I think was about the third one. It was the, There'd been a bit of a gap between that one and Revenge, and it mm. almost works as a bit of a soft reboot in the same way that Dracula AD 1972 yeah. works as a reboot. But, you know, yeah, listeners, what was the first Frankenstein picture you saw? Mm. Let us know. I'm interested. Mick, I'm especially interested to hear from you because I know that you have such a passion for, for such things. Steve, have you shown Caitlin any Hammer movies yet? Because you really should have been out. Anyway, listeners, we are building up to our summer special episodes. We've been planning this for a little while, good few months now. Mm-hmm. Several of our friends and fellow podcasters are, are helping us out. We're approaching the 1972 Justice League of America, Justice Society of America crossover. And this year it's, it's a bit fussy and a bit more complicated because it features the return of some other Golden Age DC superheroes. And we're going to spend the next couple of episodes talking about them before we get to the particular JLA story. Isn't that right Peter?
1: It most certainly is. Listeners strap yourselves in and get prepared for The Seven Soldiers
0: of Victory!
2: Yes, for that is what's going on listeners, we're going to say no more on that bombshell. He's been Peter Watson and he's been David Steele. We'll see you soon on The the Earth Earth 2 Podcast podcast. Transmatter Cube activated Return coordinates set for Earth Prime Right, you built a—pardon the pun—Frankenstein. That last bit together.